Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is Matt. This is a podcast where we talk about our favorite albums. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to all of you who have been sending in emails and rating us on iTunes and leaving comments on our blog, finestworksongs.com. We've heard from some people, haven't we, Matt? It's been really exciting to see the engagement, whether it's on social media or, like Matt said, on the website. So I want to... Thank some of you uh, for, for, for doing that. For instance, at Derek underscore DP said uh, on Twitter, I listened through Automatic for the People and Thriller today after work. And when you guess out of all those great songs, The Girl is Mine is stuck in my head tonight. Oh, sorry, Derek. I blame Matt. <laughs> I blame Paul McCartney. Yeah. You know, on Instagram, we've had some really good engagements and comments there. Seth Hall uh, said, if we don't do pet sounds and we're not a real podcast. I'm going to go ahead and get on record and say that you need to come to Raleigh so that we can do pet sounds because I would love to do that album, first of all. And also, I think you'd have some great thoughts about it. Yep. And then uh, our, you can always email us too at, at finestworksongs at gmail.com. We've had some good ones there. Uh, John Stevenson sent us one that just said subject line Beelzebubba, which is a Dead Milkman album. And the, the email just said, do it. Are you familiar with that album? I've never heard that album. I know it very, very well. All right. That's a good one. I wanted to give a shout out to my dear friend, Kristen from JMU, who wrote us after the uh, automatic episode. Kristen was talking about REM being the band of a youth and saying that she remembers getting document and wearing it out. And also um, loving Life's Rich Pageant, which Matt and I have mm -hmm. a ton of respect for. Kristen, you mentioned being in the room, having this conversation over beer. So I want to go ahead and say that I think you and a contingency of Williamsburg folks should drive down and we should record uh, some episodes because that would be so much fun. And that's really what this is all about. I mean, just sitting around having a beer, talking about music. And that's why we do this every time. I mean, that's even what we're doing right now because folks... We're not alone in this room. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just so got, I got chills. Yeah. Oh, man. The hair on the back of my <laughs> neck. I <sticking> <laughs> wondered where I was going. I don't know what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, we do have a guest today. And uh, we'll introduce uh, he, she in just a minute. <laughs> them. Yeah. We'll introduce them in just a minute. Last time, the audience was divided because some people were really excited that we talked about Dave Matthews Band, Under the Table and Dreaming, while another friend of mine said, I'm going to go ahead and skip that episode. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, with that episode, we were taking a different approach on kind of putting a question mark at the end of it. Great album. <laughs> we walked away with that, maybe with a different perspective than we would on a classic album like mm -hmm. Automatic for the People or Siamese Dream. But one thing that I walked away with that I did not appreciate earlier was the saxophone playing of Leroy Moore. Mm -hmm. Like I genuinely loved that for the first time after revisiting this album. You know, it would have made it just a little bit better. No Boyd? Well, that and if he had busted into the Pink Panther theme song at some point. <laughs> Could he even play that? Oh. Was all that noodling just masking the fact that he couldn't play the Pink Panther? <laughs> Probably. Because if you're a saxophone player, why wouldn't you play that? In, in every, every solo... Do you think he ever snuck it in live at a Dave Matthews Band concert behind all that nonsense and he's just sitting there playing Pink Panther? <laughs> and people are just going bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, you mentioned that you bring up a good point, though. I mean, it, it definitely seemed to be one side of the fence. People were excited about you know, talking about that album. And then uh, some folks were, were, I think, a little put off by the topic a little bit. And uh, as, as you know, one, one guy on, on Twitter said, you know, I feel like I was attacked from us <laughs> talking about that album. Was it Boyd Tinsley that said that on Twitter? Because if so, he's right. He's right. Yeah. So that, that, that was a that was a bit of a departure from the previous episodes, but it was, it was fun to revisit that one. And and I, I mean, I, th- I think we both came away from that thinking that it, it, it maybe holds up a little better than we thought it would going into it. You can speak for yourself on that. <laughs> <laughs> so under the table and dreaming was divisive because there are many people who are embarrassed that they once liked that album or they think that you're not cool if you love that album. Today's album. It's kind of the opposite. This is a beloved indie record that in some circles they'd say, you are not cool if you don't like this album. Of course, I'm talking about Neutral Milk Hotels in the airplane over the sea. I've been excited not only to talk about this album, but for this guest to join us. Today, we are joined by none other than Stephen Shingler. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Stephen. Do we not have a studio audience? We do not. I don't see Stephen is our studio audience. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. It's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I've been very excited about this. Stephen and I have known each other how long? 30 years? Seven. Okay. Because I remember having you and your family over to dinner shortly after my wife and your wife getting to know each other. And you guys came over. We had you over for dinner. Is this about the fact that we've never had you guys over for dinner? (laughs) And you just want to bring it up to let everybody know how hospitable you are? I mean, no, you're a cheapskate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we like to have people over for dinner. Okay. Burn. (laughs) (laughs) So we... We had you guys over. Yes. The computer that I had on the screensaver just had all my music kind of popping up. But one of them was Neutral Milk Hotel's first album. And you immediately started talking to me. I think that's one of the early times you and I kind of hit it off on a music topic that yeah. was like, oh, okay. Because you know, I think we'll get into this. This band is one of those bands that will connect people very intimately quickly. Like yeah. If you know it and have heard it at some point in your life, there's a a connection. You and I, it was about seven years ago when we started hanging out. And honestly, it was early on when this type of music kind of came up. Uh, Steven also, why don't you talk about what he's known for? Far and wide, Steven is known for designing our podcast logo. Yeah. You've probably seen it if you've been you know, in any you know, Target. And you happen to pull out your phone and looked at your <laughs> podcast <laughs> list. <laughs> Visit our yeah. website. Why the box? Are you saying that you're trying to put us in a box? I don't know. I I, I had a, a lot of different options that I was working on. I think I was just thinking of like uh, records or boxes or you know crates or just something physical because this medium is such a 
non-physical medium. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking it'd be cool to have some some type of three-dimensional object. Well, you know, the, the cool thing I think about the logo is when I first saw the one we went with, it harkened me back to like, you know, late 80s, early 90s albums that I really liked, which yeah. were, you know, very DIY looking right. uh, cover. It definitely has a lo-fi quality to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that would that was a, a nice sort of difference to something like this. So I wanted to make you guys a gift where the lines shake, like wiggle. Like scary, like Stranger Things? No, like MTV. Oh, yeah. Oh, like the, yeah. that type of animation that seems like it's kind of, it was like a hair on a projector, just kind of like that oh, uh-huh. cool. weird like twitchy twitchy moving yeah. thing. And so I, I had that originally. I, I messed around with it when I first started, and I didn't have time to fix finish it, but I might get back to it and make that for you guys. That'd be cool okay. if our logo could give people epileptic seizures. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, we are appreciative because it looks awesome. And otherwise, we would just have some stupid picture. Papyrus font. Yeah. Yeah, papyrus font. Can we bring, can you guys bring papyrus up in every episode? Have we? No, but you did last time. Yeah. Oh, that seems like a challenge. (laughs) All right. All right. So we are talking today about In the Airplane Over the Sea. So this album came out in 1998 for. Many people, it flew under the radar, but in the indie world, it made quite a stir, as we'll get into uh, the band who made it, and especially Jeff Mangum, the the singer and sort of songwriting force behind Neutral Milk Hotel, but by no means alone, because his band and the collective uh, that put this together is incredible. So we'll get into some of the details, but as always, we like to begin with Matt. Yeah. What are your memories of this record? Where were you? I can remember where I was the first time I heard this thing the whole way through. I was sitting at my desk at work, and it was literally two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's not to say I didn't know some of this uh, record before. Um, uh, Rich Kaznicki, who's a neighbor of mine, uh, introduced me to a couple of these songs two or three years ago. We were playing music together. One night while taking a break, he he was like, you got you to gotta listen to this if you haven't heard it before. So yeah. uh, let's do a couple of songs. You know, it's definitely more of an experience to hear the album from start to finish. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's true. Steven? Hey. What, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome. What are your memories of hearing this yeah. album? If you can remember the first time or even just earliest memories of, of experiencing this. I heard it on the radio. I was a pretty strict college radio listener when i turned 17 something clicked and i was Mm -hmm. like i'm not listening to mainstream radio anymore yeah i was i remember being in my room probably studying or doing some homework and king and carrot flowers part one came on and i had heard nothing like it before i didn't know where to put it and there's only a few records or, or cds i guess back for me that i remember going and picking out and that was definitely one where i was like i'm going to buy this album i, I don't know what this is but i'm going to buy it yeah i love that you remember like actually going to go and get it yep that's awesome uh so my memory also goes back to 98 my marriage was a bit on the rocks i was just obsessed with my job really just wasn't giving to my family what they needed and so after I had a big blow up at work, came home and I really tried to throw together this birthday party for my kid and, and, and my wife and I uh, got into a fight and it was the final straw for her after awful behavior and, and negligence from me. And so, you know, she filed for divorce. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was tough. And so what happened when I went in there is that the court gave 
sole custody of the children to my wife. It's not funny at all. It's it's, it's not. Really not. And if I were to see my kids again and have any sort of relationship with them, I had to find a real steady job. And I found out that she was looking for a housekeeper. <laughs> And so, you know, like any good father, what I did was I used my my skills as a voice actor. I told her that I was a housekeeper and I spoke in a Scottish accent and I dressed up and got prosthetics. And oh, I didn't mention that my brother is conveniently a professional makeup artist. And so what I did is I called and uh, went over there and uh, I fooled my family. I was sad to learn that my kids were that dumb that they wouldn't know... <laughs> They wouldn't be able to see through prosthetics and an accent. My kids did discover that I was the nanny, and they were really excited to have their dad as their nanny. And they agreed to keep this insane secret. Well, it wasn't over yet. We went to dinner, and at this dinner, I had a business dinner, but my wife was also on a date with this guy. And so I was trying to both be the nanny to my wife and also myself at the business dinner trying to get the job. So what happened next is I overheard that my wife's date was allergic to pepper. I snuck into the kitchen, and I tried to murder him by putting cayenne pepper on his dinner. He choked, and he was about to die, but I felt a little bit guilty. And so I went ahead and dressed up as the nanny to, uh, to save his life wow. and become the hero. Uh, when we went back to court, I tried to plead with the judge to let him know that, you know, I did meet the requirements so that I did get a job and I did have a steady life. And uh, the judge decided that I was a psychopath <laughs> and, and he restricted me from visiting my kids again. What happened was my son became really estranged from his dad because he was really troubled by his dad uh, dressing up as a nanny and lying to the family and sneaking into the house. And one day when I was stalking him as the nanny, I, I heard it playing and I thought, that's really good. I'd like to hear more about that. So that's, that's, that's when that's I first really heard it. Yeah, that's when I first heard this album. <laughs> Man. When you were stalking him, though, he already knew that you were... This is that one. It, it wasn't necessary for me to, for me to be the nanny anymore. I just, it's, it's who I became. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Let's get into this album. First track, King of Carrot Flowers, part one. heard this song it was from the beginning i hadn't heard any other songs you right. know got the album because i'd heard about it 30 seconds in and your mom would stick a fork right into daddy's shoulder yeah i remember my eyes got wide and i thought what is this album all about yeah matt what was your impression of this song as you first listen to it to be honest it, it took me a little while 
not to get used to the song or get, get used to the feel of this album, I kind of kept getting hung up on his voice. In what way? In, in a, a sort of like, and I, and I say this, you know, fully admitting that like I am a son of the South with an accent. Yeah. But certain ways he enunciates, uh, particularly A sounds, kind of threw me for a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it, it was, I don't know, it was just, it was something very interesting about his enunciation and pronunciation on uh the song and, and other songs. And so admittedly had to kind of get over that hurdle of, of just, you know, letting the, the, the whole com- composition come together and, and enjoying it as one whole piece versus yeah. uh, singling out the lyrics. I, I like to think that you're only into music that's pronunciated well. <laughs> How's the melody? Who cares? Life's first pageant. They don't have a apostrophe on life's <laughs> listening to this album. I'm dud. So right. let, let's talk about this guy, Jeff Mangum. He is a fascinating character in indie rock for many reasons. One is what he grew up in with a lot of other musicians and also then what happened after this album. But let's start with the beginning. Mangum grew up with this guy who's the producer, Robert Schneider. Rob Schneider yeah. from Saturday Night Live fame. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he grew up with this guy. And then the way they approached playing music was from an early age, being in a band and presenting yourself as part of a band was not the highest value for them. It wasn't a status thing. It wasn't an identity thing. It was about the music. You know, in high school and in junior high, they would just kind of switch bands around. Right. And so they would be coming up with bands every week. And some people are in this band and maybe it's short-lived, but then they would play some music, record some tapes. And they had a very lo-fi, very dry approach to making music and that and that stuck with them throughout their careers well and 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 that's interesting to me because like when when i was in middle school high school being in whatever that band was at that time was such an identity for me it was you know your gang i mean that's who you were with more so than whatever team you're playing on or or your circle of friends it was like oh I'm with I'm with this group here. This is my band. To me, that's a, a weird concept to understand. Like, oh yeah, I might be in this band this week, but you know, next week we're going to mix it up and have a different band. Because to me, it was so identity based. Well, listen, I mean, if you're going to Benson Mule Days, you're not going alone. The boys from Technical Difficulties were going with me, baby. <laughs> is that your name? The band name? That was one of the band names. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. We had a, a banner that we had behind us. It was like a TV, like a spray-painted TV with uh-huh. an you know, antenna coming out of it with you know, fuzzy uh, like snow on the TV because, you know, technical difficulties. Yeah. That's good stuff, rock, man. It was. Yeah. It was very. Wow. <laughs> no, uh, but I agree, though. Being in a band, there was an identity to it. Yeah. And that was part of it. It was the music, but it was also these guys, these girls, this is my tribe. Because mm-hmm. everybody at that time is just trying to find some some sort of group to be a part of. And so I guess that the way they did it, it was a much larger group that they were part of. This is the next song. And, and also part of this album is that it blends from song to song. You know, we'll stop it, but I we highly recommend going and listening to it from the start so that you can get the full experience. But then, you know, he follows up with... King of Carrot Flowers, part two and three.
So I remember hearing him sing that and being really torn mm-hmm. because I thought he sounds really sincere and it's a very direct thing to sing. Right. If you are against Christ or Christianity mm-hmm. or anything like that, it right. just seems like he set up this very sincere way of sharing music and singing. And if he's against it, that just seems really odd. So mm-hmm. I've been torn by that for mm-hmm. years. How did that strike you guys? So far, as you said. You know, I never heard any musician belt something like that before. Something that direct to somebody's holds so much spiritual weight. Even in the you know youth group songs I grew up being around, uh-huh. nothing was like that. Right. It was a little jarring, honestly. I think for years I've had that question until doing research for this podcast and he grew up being a part of a church and going to this Christian camp every summer and that he says, so I'm reading this. To me, it's like I'm expressing something that's within me that I can't really explain that really has nothing to do with religion. My love for Christ has more to do with what he said and what he believed in. And he talks about his cynicism with what people have done with Christ's words mm-hmm. and and his actions, which um, some of that I would definitely agree uh, with, but it seems like throughout all of this that he maintained this sincere love just for Jesus Christ, and that's what he's singing from. Mm-hmm. No matter what people believe, he's just, it's something about his singing that is so honest and upfront that when he sings things, whether it's you stuck a knife right into daddy's shoulder or you're singing about, I love you, Jesus Christ, he, I can't hear that and not believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's what messed with me is like hearing that, I thought there's no sarcasm or cynicism or anything behind this. There's nothing veiled. He is just out front putting his honesty and his beliefs out there, or so it would seem. Right. He's also very descriptive and really likes to paint visual imagery. And I think there's there's a lot about the image of, of, of Christ being belted over and over again with just sort of a hum of a feedback that I think work really, really well, especially for that piece. Just musically he's able to pull it off but i think you're right i think that there is a lot of sincerity in in that because of every you know the rest of the album it's really really heavy and descriptive but there seems to be a lot of moments of abuse or trauma and that he's being extremely vulnerable sharing whether or not that is from him and the experience he's had or or just a um as a storyteller right as a storyteller exactly well and the other thing i mean i know i was you know kind of riffing on his his enunciation earlier but i think the the other thing about and you touched on it matt is it's very clear what he's singing here this this isn't some like michael stipe mumble where you're you're trying to decipher the lyrics i mean it's it's very clear particularly that line yeah yeah at this point in the album If you haven't made up your mind and you're listening for the first time, you're only like five minutes in and you're definitely intrigued. You know, what is this? Like you said, Stephen, when you first heard it, you didn't have a category for it. Right. And then they follow up uh, with this third song, which it's the title track and arguably the most beautiful song on the album. What a beautiful face I have found in this place That is circling all around the sun What a beautiful dream That could flash on the screen In a blink of an eye And be gone from me So 
soft and sweet Let me hold it close and keep it here with me And one day we will die There's that singing song There it is I remember the first time I heard that I thought, are you kidding me? They have a singing song? Yeah the only time I'd seen that is like in an Alan Lomax field recording or some obscure documentary of something that's really deep in the mountains. And here they have it on this incredibly beautiful song. Yep. One of the things about this album is the distortion on mm-hmm. it. Yep. You can't ignore it even a song like this that's so beautiful it's distorted almost like this layer of distortion that goes over the whole album a lot of that jeff mangum talks about all of those years of recording on four tracks and on cassettes and sharing those that what they became used to was this really lo-fi distorted sound that comes from overdriving microphones and so even when they recorded this acoustic it's a natural acoustic sound but they drove up the preamps and really cranked up the p- compressors so that this isn't a pedal that he's playing through. It's just the natural way that they recorded it. Okay. And part of that is I think that he's got this guy, Robert Schneider, that he grew up with, who now has studio knowledge, and they're able to come together and, and really make this happen. Otherwise, you would just have an extremely lo-fi album if he had done it. Or if you go into the studio and you have something lo-fi, then it becomes too polished. Iron and Wine in the early 2000s, really old folk style of playing and singing, and it harkened back to something. The first album was just him on like a four track. So him on a very basic recording tape structure that Hmm. it gave it this feel that matched the music. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into the studio and the next album, Our Endless Number Days, they tried to keep the similar feel but it just lost it because it was so produced. In a highly produced environment, if you're trying to do something lo-fi, you can't. Mm -hmm. And so there's something magical about this childhood friend having the studio and knowing Jeff Mangum and growing up in that environment, but also raising the level where it's not too produced, but it's also not just like this tinny, hissy lo-fi. It's the perfect blend. And they never put out another album. There's something, no. there's something about, like, this was it. Mm-hmm. So it's trapped in almost this sort of childhood of creating music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that the producer, all that stuff you just said, and then Jeff Mangum literally disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he didn't show up on stage till like, you know... 2011? 2011, 2012. Yeah. What I give credit for on this album, uh, and you, you touched on it, is there are moments where the production values there's definitely a lot more emphasis on it and you, whether it's double tracking the vocals or, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, the saw even, I mean that, uh, and then, and then there are, po- there are parts where it's, it is very lo-fi mm-hmm. and, and it, right. it, it all works together really well from, from start to finish. romantics who bought this album for in the airplane over the sea then yep. they get to this song and oh they're my like, gosh oh yes. gosh what <laughs> I have no idea what the song's about it's about a two-headed boy it's about Chang'e Chang'e Bunker 
Exactly. <laughs> the OG Siamese twins. That's right. <laughs> As a vocalist, he is in that sort of sloppy camp, mm-hmm, you sure. know, that you would put people in this sort of indie, I don't care, non-trained camp. Right. But his control and his power are undeniable mm-hmm. as a vocalist. I mean, he's an extremely powerful vocalist, even in holding these notes out. Even if you're like, oh, it's a little wavy on the pitch. Yeah, but I don't know. Listen to it. There's something emotive that he can put out in vocals that you just can't train people to do. And it's incredibly distinctive. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's no, nothing really like that. This next one is Holland, 1945. He read The Hiding Place and had like crazy dreams about it in the way of wanting to time travel back and save her. And her is Anne Frank. Did she title it The Hiding Place? I don't know. I thought it was Diary of a Young Girl or... I think Diary of a Young Girl. I think we all know what it is. I thought The Hiding Place was that movie with like Meryl Streep. I think it was The Panic Room with Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he watched The Panic Room. <laughs> <laughs> he watched Bird Box. <laughs> Frankie talked about Bird Box tonight. Your eight-year-old daughter talked about Bird Box? Yeah. Had she seen it? No, she hasn't seen kids, it. Kids, kids are talking about <laughs> the kids Bird Box. Kids are talking about it. At the dinner table tonight, it was all about all their friends who've seen It Chapter 2. And, what? Oh, yeah. What? The new Chucky. All the Medea movies. <laughs> <laughs> As you listen to the album... As you read interviews, you got to figure out what you're going to do with Jeff Mangum. And that's not up to us. There's not a responsibility that you have, but you are a little bit confronted with death and tragedy and everything. He reads about Anne Frank and cries for three days in his words. Is this guy sincere? Is he just some tortured artist, you know, hippie poet that just sort of spits out all these lyrics and comes up with like, oh, we're going to do this lo-fi recording. Is it an act? Is it a gig? Like, what, what is he doing here? And, and so I'm constantly confronted with his sincerity and his honesty right? and what to do with it. You know, so when I read a song where he's talking about Anna's ghost is, is with us, does he really believe those things? Like, what do you do with that? I don't know. I think that he might believe that. I think he hopes that in some way this helps something. Like, if he could go, I think he legitimately would like to have gone back in time and helped her matt what was your impression hearing this for the really was this one of the ones you heard for the first time yeah it was and it was actually one of my favorite ones to Mm -hmm. hear just from you musically and just such a good song and then you you think like oh okay this is a song about anne frank and holland in 1945 and yeah i mean I i think i think steven you're right i mean i think if he could you know he would go back and like be like um what's michael j fox's marty mcfly marty mcfly it back and and maybe not sleep with Anne frank but you know save her um <laughs> but uh i mean marty didn't plan to sleep with his mom but she tried to you don't know what's gonna happen with the time machine that's right i think it's interesting that he had dreams about getting a time machine and all he would do is go back and rescue Anne frank 
right. you have a time machine, everybody knows you go back and kill Hitler. Right. And That's then right. she wouldn't be in danger, but he's really short-sighted here. <laughs> he's trying to reach another dimension mm-hmm. with his lyrics and kind of like sharing his, his dreams and stuff like that. I had no idea how to where to place it. And I think that there are parts in the in this song, like on um, King of Carrot Flowers, part two and three. You know the the sort of "I love you, Jesus Christ" mm-hmm. belting. I didn't know I didn't know how to place that. And then 1945, the song was such a beautiful, happy song, but then the lyrics were very vivid and disturbing. Yeah, you know, I did not I didn't know how to place that. Jeff Mangum, when I hear him, I can't get past his honest approach and the fact that he is painting very visceral pictures it's almost like he's describing emotions and what it feels like Mm -hmm. instead of sharing a story or trying to convince you of anything i don't feel like he has a point in the whole album Mm -hmm. and i don't mean that pejoratively no yeah Yeah. because he is just presenting his feeling and these stories and these emotions what grabbed people was the way that it made you feel Mm -hmm. not the way that it made you think I mean, Kurt, yes. Right. There's nothing that this made me think about. Right. It was mm-hmm. almost like being in a dream. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I am positive that some of you are out there nodding your heads, and some of you are just wondering what it is that we might see in this album. And I think that's the beauty of music. And one of the beautiful things about this album is that it hits some people really hard, and for other people, it's like I'm turning that nasally singing saw. <laughs> dude off i got enough Anne frank albums in my life i don't need another one (laughs) you hit on it early i mean it's this album is almost like the secret handshake of musicians you know this album then it it gives you a level of gravitas in the music world if you will i'm a teacher a high school teacher and i had a student i had this album playing yesterday and she got close to the speaker because i had it down (laughs) Kind of low, because it's, it's playing mainly for me, because I just didn't want to hear the complaints from the kids. And she, she got really low to the speaker, and she's like, this is Jeff Mangum. I was like, yeah, 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 this is New Milk Hotel. And she's like, I love Jeff Mangum. And, you know, this is like a 17-year-old wow. today who wow. knows this. And, and again, going back to your sort of uh, point about the secret handshake, like she connected with her teacher mm-hmm. about a band that, I, when I was her age, I picked up and was blown away by. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that. There's a timelessness to it that I think is, I hope, will continue to carry on. All right. So, uh, Stephen, we're going to start with you. Jeff Mangum is about to stick a fork right into your shoulder if you don't take a song off this album. So, if you had to take a song off, which one would it be? Oh, boy. I knew you were going to ask me this. And I knew this was going to be really challenging because the entire album as you have mentioned already before it's a sweet it's a it's a compilation and it, they all connect untitled is good i really enjoy untitled it's the one i think is that the one it's the one right after ghost it's a really happy, upbeat beat. I would hate for it to lose it, right? Especially on, that's on side B with O Comely, Ghost, and Two-Headed Boy Part 2. So you kind of need it, but I think that I, you have to have all the other songs. 
Okay. What about you, Matt? For me, it would probably be Okomely. Some sort of time machine. Know all your enemies. We know our enemies are. That's probably the one on here that I, I could do without. But again, you know, I also feel ill-prepared to, to say it like, a song should come off this album because just not knowing it as well. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it's it's really one complete story, one complete suite. That would be the one that I, I would pull off. Yeah, actually, Matt, I agree with you on this one as well. Two albums in a row. How about that? For me, there's just something about it where he loses me a little bit where I'm just a little bit annoyed by it. You know, I, I could see beauty in the song, but that's one that I just find myself wanting to get past Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit too long. So I think you can remove that and it still holds up. Well, this was fun visiting this indie classic and trying to see if it stands up and also just really taking a deep dive years later. For me, I still think it's beautiful. I think it's a great album. Really fun to have you on Steven uh, to talk about this. Yeah, it was, it was good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And then for me, this was, um, you know, I'm, I'm at that point in my life where, I'm not exposed to quote unquote new music as much anymore. And so even, even though this is clearly not new, I mean, this is 20 years old, having the opportunity to listen to something like this that I hadn't heard the entire album before was really refreshing because it's, it is, you know, I'm exposed to music through my kids now, which, which is fun in its own way, but uh, it does have its, its limitations at times. So it was, it was cool to, 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 you know, really spend some time with, with an album like this. Make sure you get online. Let us know what you think. How can they do that, Matt? Send us an email at finestworksongs at gmail.com if you've got some ideas of uh, some other albums you'd like for us to talk about or you have your own thoughts about this album in particular. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at finestworksongs. Visit our, our website, finestworksongs.com, and listen to all of our episodes. We can't wait to talk about more albums. Humping around. Oh. Not yet, Shingler. <laughs> Have we gotten to the humping Oh, yet? my gosh. That's all you've been waiting for. All right. I'm going to hump around. <laughs> this has been Finest Work Songs. I'm Stephen Schickler. Humping around. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. It's been fun. And until next time, like Bobby Brown, we hope you keep humping, humping around. around. <laughs> Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. <laughs> <laughs>